0: You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. Thanks for tuning in once again. This is actually episode seven. We had a little numbering mishap last time. Got a little ahead of ourselves. Got a little ahead of ourselves, but here we are episode seven. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking with Pastor Rick Polisi, who's the campus pastor at Grace Bible College, former pastor at a church up in Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, We're going to be talking to him about ministering to and alongside millennials. Yeah, this is a generation that uh, is, I don't know, are you a generation millennial? Kind of. How do you see yourself? I see myself as kind of straddling the border. I'm like, an early adopter for the millennials. I was born in like the early '80s, um, but kind of raised alongside Gen Xers, which is kind of what you identify as, right? And so the so like the technology aspects
1: and being plugged in from birth is right. is the technology is not
0: native to you. You had to learn out Absolutely, with everyone yeah. else. I remember. The MS Paint, you know, in in uh, library in elementary school and that sort of thing. Uh, whereas now, you got kids knowing how to use an iPad without telling them how to use an iPad, which is insane. My kids are uh, two and four years old, and they can use
1: an iPad. Uh, I wouldn't say fluently. Uh, well, they definitely know how to move my icons and my apps around in ways right. that are confusing and disorienting to me
0: when I get the <laughs> iPad or phone back. But the point is that anyone being born from, you know, the mid to mid to late 80s onward are just going to be born into a completely different environment than you and I were born into. And so with that, there's a huge cultural shift of how they view the world and how the world operates. And so as people who are ministering in churches, I think it's important that we are not only aware of but we are actively engaging with all generations. One of the things we've talked about in previous episodes is exactly that,
1: trying to be pastors and ministers who are aware of these dynamics so that we don't do what maybe comes naturally to us, and that is to minister to people that we understand or that we get. Right. We want to minister to all generations and have those generations understand one another well enough that they can minister to each other because it's not just about the pastor doing the ministry.
0: It's about the whole church understanding and living together as a body. Yeah. And so I think probably what's one of the most important things I found is not just knowing how I can effectively communicate to people of different generations, but how can I empower them so that they can join me in ministry. And I think that's, that's crucial just had a conversation this morning with our church
1: as a youth pastor about that question of how do we get teenagers connected with the life of the local church the rest of the local church and you can do the things like have a prayer card for right. your teenagers or something but I thought well what if the what if the teenagers instead of the church family adopting a teenager as your prayer
2: mm-hmm. prayer
1: family or whatever uh, the teenager adopts the family. Hmm. Because we have a lot of really bright, upcoming teenagers in our church who are leaders in their own right, and they've got a great group identity. What if they did some ministry Yeah, and connected with people in the church
0: who maybe they wouldn't normally otherwise connect with? Yeah, that's one of the things that Mitch, our youth pastor, really tries to emphasize is our youth, he doesn't talk about them as the next generation of Celebration Bible Church, but he talks about them as the current generation. Generation of Celebration Bible Church, meaning our job isn't to simply get them in position so that of someday they can lead and serve and minister, but open our arms to them in the same way we do to the you know, 30, 40-year-old people, um, to bring them in and to call them not only to say, it's good for you to minister, but say, this is part of your spiritual act of worship is to serve here in the local church. So finding ways to do that, though, uh, is, I think, important. But I think it also extends beyond students, uh, who we normally
1: think of as the teenagers or the youth group, to the generation that's in their 20s
0: right right now. I had an interesting uh, couple weeks. I just got back from a vacation, as you know, and from the lack of podcasts that have come out in the last few weeks, probably our listeners, if they were paying attention, knew as well. Uh, I spent some time back in Washington with my family, but also went to the Family Bible Conference, the Grace Gospel Fellowship Family Bible Conference. And it was great, a great time always to connect with uh, people from around the country. We had an annual meeting, which nothing is more exciting than an annual meeting, right? Throw some financial numbers up there, get a president's report. Man, just got them eaten, eaten out of your hand. Maybe even an open mic time of Ooh. some sort. <laughs> That's a danger. That's a red flag. <laughs> if you're ever hosting a meeting, <laughs> caution the open mic. Uh, but one of the things that we did at the conference or at that meeting is we we voted on um, some different amendments and wording changes to the Constitution and that sort of thing. One of the ones that I found to be most interesting is we removed the language in Um, in the Constitution, I believe it was, that talked about the churches being autonomous. Which, uh, if you're out there and listening and you're not familiar with the GGF, maybe you can relate in some ways in that we're not a denomination. Um, There's no hierarchy. There's no structure. Um, We are a fellowship of independent churches. And so what can often happen is because we're independent churches and we have this sense of personal identity, and so because of that, um, one of the things I think that can happen is for the churches to identify more as independent than as part of a community, which in some ways is good, um, but there's definitely some damaging aspects of that. We uh, we want to talk about the body of Christ as um, an interconnected global group, not of individuals only, but of church communities as well. And so, by removing that language that specifically said autonomy, we're not making the churches into a denomination, right? We're still autonomous. Hopefully the goal was to create more of a sense of community amongst the churches. And I think that was a really helpful discussion for us to have as a fellowship as we strive to be more connected to one another. With the emphasis on
1: the fellowship of independent churches rather than on the fellowship of independent, independent yeah, churches. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I don't know where what that's going to do. Hopefully that will lead to more... Um, Connection and interactivity between the churches, but either way, I think it's a good thing. There's certainly a sense in which, generationally,
1: that's one thing that young people are looking for. Yeah. Is uh, a sense of I'm part of something that's larger than just myself. I have an opportunity to give yeah. to something that's larger than myself. I have an opportunity to participate and serve, especially. We have a neat uh, relationship with our our mission organization, GMI, and we've got some students, some teenage girls, who are going from our church on a mission trip, a long mission trip, to Nicaragua. My niece is going. Your niece is going. And uh, they're great, upstanding young ladies, and yet they're being given this opportunity to expand their horizons, to go overseas, to minister with other teenagers that are from all across the country in different sister churches, but they're mm-hmm. part of that fellowship. And so there's a sense of I'm I'm part of something that's bigger than my youth group yeah. or my own local church congregation, and I have this network. I have these positive
0: opportunities that are available to me. Yeah. I was doing some research for a paper I was writing a couple months ago, and one of the things that I came across is that one of the shared values of the millennial generation is that desire To make a significant impact so that what they're doing, what we are doing, uh, is not just benefiting me. Uh, but I'm in some way leaving a lasting and significant impact. And we see that in the way that Kickstarter programs, you know, like for stupid stuff, but whatever a product may be, but people rally behind it because they say, I'm part of this. Uh, we see that with like organizations uh, like Kiva, right? Who do the micro loans, but they're crowdsourced. Like that's a huge thing. Uh, we have a, a, a mutual friend who's in a band and they've just kind of got back together after about a decade off and they're crowdsourcing their their new record to be recorded. And it's the same concept of, I'll give to this because it's about more than just me. I'm making more of a significant impact uh, in the world at large. And I think that that's the, an important thing for us as leaders to be aware of. How can we use that shared value within ministry? And and that sense of interconnectedness
1: of the individual members of yeah. a church body a local church and the sense of an interconnectedness between the the larger church the right. body of Christ i think is really valuable for people who in an age of technological isolation they're looking for a sense of feeling part of a community yeah and you even see that with the the pokemons right
0: pokemon community i was trying to
1: find a way to bring that in somehow team mystic baby are you yeah okay i wouldn't know oh okay you're that guy so the pokemon's at least my (laughs) perception as someone who doesn't really get the phenomenon is i'm participating in this augmented reality with people who share the same values that share the same interests it's something we can do together that's fun and i'll get together with a two thousand people that i don't know downtown in the park
0: yeah you saw those videos of have that. this experience right our youth pastor mitch was down there uh and just yeah there that's one of the things that he he talks about when i talk to him about why he plays the game is that there's this like community that has kind of organically sprung up around this app that has suddenly become you know ubiquitous in in western american culture over the last two weeks uh and, and I think that, that you're absolutely right. It's this desire for community. And so I wonder if maybe someone who has no religious background, no church background, could see that in the church and be attracted to faith in Jesus, not necessarily because of any doctrinal significance or you know atonement or a sense of guilt or whatever, while all of that obviously is still there, but maybe... One of the things that is attractive for someone on the outside is this is a community. And once someone enters in the community, they begin to share these doctrinal values and that sort of thing. For so long, I think our starting place has been doctrines like atonement and that sort of thing. And again, we're not discounting that, but perhaps the the generational values have shifted so that we can shift uh, our emphasis without devaluing the other Um, making an entry point that's more effective, kind of like what Paul does, you know, in in, uh, Athens at Mars Hill, shifts the the entry point of the gospel.
1: I can think of an example of that in our church community. We have a number of churches that are affiliated, and just recently we became aware of a need in a sister church and had that need presented to our church leadership, and and we planned some responses to that need. Of a family who lives a a little bit north of Grand Rapids and the overall emphasis was this is an opportunity to come alongside this family and help them and Mm. show the love of Christ, but more importantly to show the surrounding community what it looks like when the church comes together to meet a need. When we work together as churches, Everyone has an opportunity to use their gifts, whether that's uh, a trade Mm -hmm. or physical ability or or a a skill in terms of building or construction to come alongside of a family or to give, whatever that might look like. And you get whole groups of people. You get scores or hundreds of people together to meet a need. You can see those values of grace and service and community. You can see those values in action. Yeah. And then
0: people start to see there's something to this. Can you tell me more about it? Right. And so we don't ever want to be sneaky (laughs) and try to, you know, backhand people with the gospel. But I don't think there's anything sneaky about dedicating yourself to living out the values of the gospel in whatever way you can and calling your community to do the same. And I think that that's, you know, that's what first Peter or second Peter or whatever it is, live in, live such good lives among the outsiders that they will see your good works and glorify the Lord in heaven on the day he returns. I think that that's, you know, that's what that looks like is when we as church communities gather together, call on one another to be involved and to share in this communal direction and passion, uh, and then see how the Lord can use that. I think as we talk to Rick in the next
1: segment about engaging with the, the current generation, mm-hmm. these millennial students and and those students, people in their teens and their twenties, they start to see that this is what the church does. Yeah. It's not simply uh, singing songs to the words on the screen mm. or <laughs> singing them to the screen, singing them to the screen, <laughs> or uh, showing up to this religious religious observance because we have to. Right. Uh, it's it's people who are actively engaged in in care and concern and helping one another and that they have an opportunity to make a significant impact in joining that effort, and we give them those opportunities, I think that could open up some real exciting, some really exciting dynamics of ministry in our local churches, in our small churches. Sometimes we tend to think of the youth group as its own entity. Think of the teenagers or the college students as this. It's it's a group that's kind of an untouchable group. We're not sure how to deal with them they might they might rub off on us or or they might not like us, right, but if we can actively engage them, then we're going to see a lot of positive benefits for them and for the, our ministry, yeah, and I
0: think if we remember way back to when we interviewed Gary Hansen in I think our second episode, he talked about the idea that the young people, because they saw that everybody in their church cared about them, they were willing to not have the things that they may have preferred as far as maybe like musical style or whatever, but they were willing to make accommodations because of the fact that they knew that they were cared about and they knew that the people valued them. And I think that that, like you just said, sometimes we're maybe scared that we have to have you know a cool youth pastor and we have to have um the cool music with the lights and the drums or whatever and i think all of that stuff uh is unnecessary uh i think sometimes all of that stuff is maybe even harmful to the the core of the gospel i think when we value people in the way that god values them you know we talk about valuing those on the outside of the church because they're made in the image of god we also need to remember that those inside the church the younger people are made in the image of God as well. We need to value them in that way. People know that. People know when they're loved and know when they're wanted and know when they're cared about. And that will ultimately lead to involvement, participation, and um, spiritual growth of, of the body of Christ and the local church. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing what Pastor Rick has to say about some of that. Yep. So we'll be back in a short moment with Rick Polisi.
1: back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. We're here with Pastor Rick Polisi, who's the campus pastor at Grace Bible College. And Rick, we're uh, glad to have you here with us. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here, Rick. <laughs> Rick is from New York, which makes him a really fun guest to interview. Thank you, I think. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, so, Rick, tell us a little bit about your time in ministry. I know you've, you've spent some years doing youth work, and now you're transitioned into a college student ministry. But what
2: has the past years of ministry been like for you? It's always changing. I learned a long time ago that uh, each year is going to look a little different. And you look back 10 years later and you go, wow, I don't remember teaching that. Uh, I wouldn't have taught that way. Uh, I wouldn't have done it that way. Uh, But you try to be current. You try to be relevant uh, throughout the years. Um, I fell in love with junior high youth ministry out of all youth ministries where... God bless you. <laughs> Everybody wanted to stay away from youth ministry uh, for junior high. They just didn't know how to handle them. They were these quirky um, guys and girls that uh, just bouncing off the walls, just seeking attention. Um, and we just fell in love with that, that type of ministry. Um, so that was my first experience Uh, A few years after working with youth, I felt called into full-time ministry, and that's when I came to Grace, and I started working at a a church part-time, working just with junior high. Two years later, I began working with senior high also, uh, and the neat part about that is I watched my junior high become high school students, Mm. and we began to see that uh, transformation, began to see that change of growth, uh, just one year at a time, and watching them grow and walking alongside of them.
0: We, had, we interviewed one of your former students, Jared Coos.
2: Very uh, dorky yes. he was in seventh grade. <laughs> um, he's still growing. Uh, I, lo- I love that young man. Uh, I love a-, a couple things about him. Is he, uh, he was one of the kids that came in in seventh grade because he was invited from a friend. Right, he told that story. That Didn't come home from fair. a, wasn't a Christian home. Yeah. Um, but the attention, the love, and the seeking on his part... Uh, continue to uh, uh, continue to grow uh, from middle school to high school, and then he attended Grace Bible College. Mm. Now he's pastoring, and now he's pastoring a church. Yeah, yes, that's awesome. What does that feel like to you as a um, youth pastor? Very humbled and very proud uh, that um, that God had used me for that season, and that's why I look at youth ministry as a season mm. in these in people's lives. Now, when
0: you – we'll keep talking about Jared here. When you were working with him, was there a direct focus on this kid seems like he has potential to be a pastor? Or did you just minister to him in the same way you ministered to all your students?
2: That's tricky because at first you don't know. Yeah. So it's almost like throwing the darts out there saying, uh, who's who's going to grasp? Who, who wants to play? Who wants to be part of um, – you know, this mission, who yeah. who desires this? And, and Jarrett was one that had shown that he was interested in things that were spiritual. And when that happens, uh, we have a a responsibility hmm. uh, to continue to feed and grow and, ex- and and allow them and empower them and, and allow them to, uh, um, to be fully equipped. I think that's our responsibility as pastors is, is to make that space for them. Yeah. That's not much different than ministering to any age group, though, right.
1: because that's what you're doing is you're preaching the word of God. You're making the opportunities available, saying this is what it takes to grow. And you hope that some of it sticks in some yeah. of your people. And this just happens to be focused on that particular age group. How do you connect students to the rest of the local church? How do you keep
2: a youth ministry from being isolated and a thing to itself? key word you said was youth ministry. Uh, Too often in my earlier years, it was always called the youth group. Mm -hmm. We're getting the youth group together. Group means excluded from the outside. I always felt that way. So Mm. we called it a youth ministry, Mm. meaning um, we're going to engage with them and we're going to take them outside the walls of the church. Uh, When you do an evangelism and you're taking them to reach their friends, that's not a youth group. That's a youth ministry. Mm. When you're serving others, uh, no matter who they are, no matter how old they are, um, that's youth ministry at its best. So to not say this is our youth group and call it a youth ministry, uh, there there's no walls. That's a great insight. I never thought about the way yeah. that calling
1: the youth ministry a group, just that terminology itself can isolate
0: the students from the rest of the church. One of the things we talked about a few minutes ago is sometimes perhaps one of the most inviting things about a church community is just that, that it's a community. And so maybe there's people outside who have this longing to belong to something. Did you encounter that at all in youth ministry of people that aren't necessarily drawn to the ministry because you're going to preach them the gospel, which you are, but they're drawn to the youth ministry because it's a place to belong?
2: Yeah, and I was okay with that. Absolutely. You wanted to have that setting that is a safe place. Uh, I feel like I belong. I feel like I have worth. I feel like I'm being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the kind of atmosphere that we would try to create and make sure that that was happening through leadership, through uh, student leaders, uh, and through anybody that was invited to come. Any friend that came, we wanted to make sure that uh, as a as as a ministry that uh, everyone was being heard. Yeah, and uh, that was that was definitely we had some really great seasons in my life that I watched that unfold with different age groups. Um, that, that, that was one of the things that, that I felt like inspired me mm. to what I was doing in life by speaking on behalf of God. What a blessing it was to watch our students in turn uh, reach their own families, mm. uh, minister to each other during hurting times. So for me, that was – I'm like the leader – on the outside yeah. going or on the inside and the outside, just just pleased with what how yeah. God's unfolding and telling stories in other people's lives. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's I think as all people
0: who are pastors or ministers in some way love the fact when we cannot be involved in the ministry moves forward in probably a way a better way than if we were you know trying to control everything. I think that's a real, real um, sign of God's
2: success in our work. Volunteer leaders are your greatest asset in ministry. Yeah. It's not about the pastor. It's mm-hmm. about every volunteer that's willing to commit their time, their energy, their resources, their influence, yeah. whatever social status, whatever kind of um, influence they have, whatever their gifts are to bring it all together and say, let's glorify God, let's, uh, let's love on the people he brings our way.
0: So I found that the role of the pastor in that then is to communicate the importance of that and to communicate that this is what it looks like to be a Christian, is to be involved and to serve and to volunteer. And so you're not necessarily saying this is what you have to do, but saying this is what the gospel looks like,
2: inspiring them to see God in that and then kind of letting that, letting that work. I, I think it's huge, the commitment. And mm-hmm. many Christians will say, I'm committed too. Something, whatever it is. I am committed to Christ. I'm committed to this youth ministry. I'm committed to helping in this way. Um, But I think the essential for every church needs to be is that truly being communicated, especially from leadership. Hmm. Because if the leadership don't communicate, then the commitment doesn't hold its value. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how to
1: engage that kind of commitment with this younger generation of high school students and college age students, people in their 20s, who I think are really trying to find a place to connect. They're trying to find a place to engage and serve where they can make a lasting impact, where they can make a difference. But often churches, and I think maybe especially small churches, we tend to kind of treat this age group with kid gloves or we don't minister to them and we don't give them the opportunities that maybe we could.
2: So could you talk to that a little bit? I've been thinking about that a lot through this past year because I am definitely pro-local church. Hmm. I believe the local church is the hands and feet. The local church is where the hurting you're going to come to. And every church will have that opportunity to say, yes, we welcome you. Or no, that's not our specialty. Or no, we're not able to help. Hmm. The younger generation, in other words, if you're in your 20s, they want to be changers. They want to be helpers. They want to walk alongside people. They want to be empowered. I want to be part of empowering them. As church leaders hear this and see this in their students, they need to be the biggest. They need to championship this. They need to uh, put money toward it. They need to put time toward it. They need to put education toward it. They need to invite them to leadership, invite them to the table for conversation, um, one of the things that I love to do with college students is to hear their passions, and one of the words in, in, in the hot button here uh, for me is is no longer how, but it's the wow. Hmm. Tell me more. So you give them an opportunity to to maybe fail and grow, or succeed, and uh, by empowering the students to to take ownership of it, uh, it's gonna go. It's gonna hold a lot more weight than oh, this was my idea, leadership's idea, or this is the way that we always do things.
0: Sure. Um. Now, you said something a second ago that I found really interesting uh, about giving students a room to fail. I think that's one thing that I hear a lot these days when people talk about some of these upcoming companies. A lot in the tech world, you know, these disruptive companies, Google, Facebook, whatever, one of the things they pride themselves on is allowing their employees to fail if you know because failure means that you're trying something you know you're trying something different you fail uh, kinda of maybe in the the older model is you're fired when you fail but in the newer model is failure means now you learn something now go back and try it again do you do you feel like that's a a generational value something that we as
2: leaders need to be aware of as we're engaging with young people yeah, the moment we think we're so perfect and we don't get things wrong is the moment we've failed the next generation. Hmm. So that's what I feel when, when leadership says this is the way it's done. Uh, if you fail, no, see, now you need to do it my way. Right. That's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, nobody wins. Yeah. So, yeah, so you create that space where they can fail
0: and be empowered through it You know, to learn. And you, you're there to guide them and to help them and to lead them through that. That's such a different mindset than maybe
1: a previous generation, but at least in the churches that I've been a part of, there's a tremendous fear of failing. Hmm. And that's not just what's our reputation going to be if we fail, but we're a small church, we have limited resources, and if we fail, that could mean major disruption in the life of the church. So maybe we're not confident enough in the power of God, in the movement of God, to to take on these new risks and challenges, really listening to God's work in the hearts of the younger generation to
2: do things that we never would have imagined ourselves. I was one that was very much afraid of failure, um, a people pleaser, I didn't want to stir the pot, I wanted to do things correctly. Uh, but yet, by accepting Christ later in life, I always got that pass. Like. Well, he really doesn't know what he's doing. Um, that honeymoon stage in ministry was about 13 years for me. Don't
1: you say that about every youth pastor? They really don't know what they're doing. Let's just let them do it. How much harm could they actually
0: do?
1: So Rick, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with students at Grace Bible College and some observations you would make about this age group of people in their
2: 20s. They're coming into college, they're in college, they've just graduated from college. The unique thing about a um, community of college students is that they all don't live in the same neighborhood. You know, when you're pastoring a church and you have about 10 to 15 blocks, maybe one community over, everyone that comes to the church is all from the same couple of schools, they're from the same community, they understand each other. At a college campus, they're coming from different states, from around the world, different cultures, different ideas, different different ways of understanding the scriptures even, because they're not all from your church, so you have different denominations, so they're coming together, and what I think is so powerful for this age group is the common denominator is they have Christ, and Christ is leading. And Christ is speaking differently to so many different students that when they come together to collaborate ideas and opportunities to serve, um, again it comes into, will Pastor Rick and will community life and will this college will they walk alongside of me and allow me to uh, to reach some of these you know these goals that they have and these these ways that they want to engage in the community and uh, and I would have to say this past year has been an exciting. Uh, has been really exciting to see how many different ministries have started. How many of our students are in so many different local churches and local ministries serving in so many different ways. So I think it's it when a these culture of service. It's amazing yeah. to watch how many students come and they're wondering, "What do I do?" and watching an upperclassman come alongside, come alongside of them and say, "Well, you can partner in this type of ministry." So getting a good vibe of. An understanding of what our students are searching and seeking for—they're—they're uh, they're seeking for responsibility. And how would you
1: translate that to maybe a pastor who's in a local church, thinking, how can I, how can I connect with my students in their 20s? Maybe they're Bible college students, maybe they're not. Um, how do I maintain those connections for students who are graduating from high school? How do I get this age group plugged into ministry,
2: get them connected? to those meaningful opportunities of service. What would you say to a pastor? Well, for all the pastors out there, one of the greatest things that you can do and you could spend your time is to go where the students are at. Don't wait for them to come to the church. Go find out where your college students work. I, I'm telling you, um, visit them, uh, talk to them, empower them, find out their story, uh, equip them, bring them onto leadership. Give them responsibility. Um, value that. And don't give them responsibility, but it's all your idea. Mm. It needs to, they need to take ownership of it. So when we allow the students to take ownership of what's happening at the local churches, that's when they'll thrive. Mm.
0: All right, so what would you do? Uh, give some advice to our pastors out there. If you're a pastor in a local church, a young person, whether it's a college student, high school student, comes up to you and says, hey, I have an idea for this ministry, whatever it is, coffee shop or a food pantry or you know, a music ministry or whatever. How do you respond to that? Maybe it's a horrible idea. <laughs> Maybe it's a great idea. Are there some general rules that we can follow that will inspire and encourage these young people to be a part of what we're doing rather than shut
2: down one of the things when you want to be heard uh, it's going to take sacrifice and time Hmm. so as a pastor you have to be committed to meeting more than once or giving them one or two things to do and say get back with me when you're done maybe there's some follow-up maybe there's some guidance that needs to take place Uh, to just meet once and then not do any follow-up would be a, the wrong thing to do because that's not what they need. Hmm. Um, the younger generation, those that are, have ideas and thoughts, they need to be surrounded around good minds, big hearts, um, and, and support. So as a pastor, maybe you say over the next three months we're going to meet, and we're going to meet six times. Hmm. Really invest into this person, and maybe that original ministry looks a little different, right. but you'll be able to walk with them. Pull somebody else aside, another elder, another leader, another college young person, another college student or so. Um, bring in some multiple voices. Because here's what happens. In ministry, if we're honest, at the church, we don't have people knocking on the door every day with an idea to, to be relevant in culture. We don't. Right. So why don't we take advantage or why don't we look at that as a blessing that God is speaking to someone that wants to find purpose and value in life because I believe that's what we're called to do as pastors, is to equip and prepare. And if they're coming with an idea, that, that's the first step.
0: So rather than just saying, that's a great idea, go do it. You say, that's a great idea, let's do it together. And, and you have to be willing to put yourself out there as well.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Life together with whoever comes into our influence, whoever desires to, uh, to grow and desires to succeed. Um, it takes, you need to be intentional and it's going to take time. Yeah.
0: And, and it's probably one of those things where we talked earlier about maybe some churches feel self conscious of we're not cool enough or whatever. Maybe even some pastors might feel like, oh, I'm not, I can't connect with them. I don't speak their language. I don't play Pokemon, right? <laughs> I don't know how to, how to connect with them. Do you think that's a false assumption? Do you think if, if you commit to engaging with a student, it doesn't matter who you are, they will respond? More or less.
2: <laughs> well, for all, absolutely, I think pastors' hearts to shepherd the flock is tremendous. Mm. A majority, majority out there, absolutely are sold out and desiring for people in their congregation to come. Uh, and again, it might not happen all the time. So when it does, we absolutely need to be prepared. Yeah. And sometimes, just as if we don't have an answer. We find an answer. Hmm. If we don't have, if we're not the right fit to walk with them, hmm. we find the right person. Most likely, if God has planted this on their heart, sure, there's someone else in that congregation. There's someone else that they know. This, there's, there's some way yeah. that they can make this uh, into a reality.
1: Yeah, Rick. One of the things we like to do is ask our guests what they're reading or if they have any book recommendations for our listeners.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the uh, the books that we'll be using on campus this this coming year is uh, "Good Faith" by David Kinnaman. Uh, I'm going to work with the staff and faculty. Um, we're going to do a series every Thursday, and we're going to meet for 45 minutes, and we're going to dive deeper into the reality of this is what our culture says is happening in in, in faith. What's happening in the Christian world? So. Uh, what's happening in the world, how the Christians respond. Um, so that's, yeah. Kind of whether you like it or not. This whether is you like it, is. it or not, yeah. this is how we need to uh, embrace the reality, and this is what people are saying. So, yeah, the Kinnaman's book, uh, Good Faith, is, is something that I'm just reading through now. We'll be working on it through the uh, coming year.
0: The other thing we like to say is, can you talk about your greatest joy in ministry? and the greatest struggle or the drag, just in ministry in general
2: yeah, ministry in general the joy is watching um, watching lives truly change and transform mm-hmm. watching, you know, from youth ministry watching young lives uh, become mature and, and true, and still seeking God in some ways, my biggest joy is watching my previous students become uh, pastors missionaries, youth pastors uh, that's a joy that well, that cannot be taken away. Yeah. Um, the, there are a lot of struggles in youth ministry. Um, watching a family walk away after, you know, a- after a tremendous loss, one of, one of my biggest struggles was watching a, a teenager take his life. And mm. for me, that was, uh, that was a real hard time in my life because I always thought, well, how can I have done something different? Mm. And... Um, not that I've gotten over that, but that's why I look at everybody so valuable. Uh, every life, every voice, mm. and um, I try not to take anything for granted in, in people's lives. They're so special. Loving God and loving people. Mm. That's great. You've been listening to the Pastoral
1: Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.